Merry Christmas. All right. Started with some Christmas songs. We have a lot more in store this morning. Diane Lawrence. <laughs> Diane? I don't know how that happened. <laughs> That's going to be one of those days. <laughs> yeah, maybe I better get this off. All right. Well, would you join with me? In I think we need prayer this morning. Oh, Father, thank you so much for your goodness, your grace. Lord, thank you. Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, the promised one has come in Jesus Christ. And we celebrate uh, your presence, Lord. We celebrate it every Sunday. But this Christmas Sunday, we celebrate especially because of your presence. And remembering your birth. Lord, the incarnation. Just pray that as I share this message that you would anoint it, help me communicate what you put on my heart. Uh, everyone here would be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to start with part of the Christmas story, another uh, familiar uh, aspect of it. And as I said last week, you know, sometimes it's the very nature of the story of Christmas being that it's, it's we've heard it so many times and it's so uh, prevalent in our culture. We can we can dismiss it, or uh, you know, we, uh, familiarity breeds contempt, so we devalue um, it because we've heard it so often. And I challenge you to listen to the story uh, and, and realize that it, you know, the significance that it has, uh, that it's, it literally has changed the course of human history. And so we're going to focus in on one aspect of the story. Um, and we're going to read out of Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20. I'm going to read from the New King James. Uh, you can follow along whatever translation you have or look at the screen. All right, Luke 2, 8. <clears throat> says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be at the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And so the scene opens up with the shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And just think of it, this is the first announcement of the birth of Christ. Now, who do you call first when a baby is born? 
We just had baby Daisy born last week. Uh, and, uh, you know, when your baby was born, who's the first one? If, you, if, you've, if you've been a parent, there's usually a list of people, <coughs> right? You know, you got to call mom and dad, and you got to call grandpa and grandma, whoever it may be on your list. And it kind of indicates the importance of the relationship, doesn't it? You know, the first people that hear the announcement of a birth indicates how special they are to you. But here, Jesus comes, and the first people that get the announcement are just some random shepherds out in the field. You know, they get the announcement that Christ was born. And seemingly, maybe people who deserved at least they were shepherds, but it was a lowly occupation. They were known to be vulgar, base people, uneducated. You know, it's a job that people took if they, they weren't uh, uh, diligent enough or smart enough in school to get a better career. Um, and so here it is, the angels appeared to the lowly ones, uh, just common people. The angels didn't show up to Herod, didn't show up to... The, Caesar didn't show up even to the religious leaders of the day, but came to, to the, the meek and the ordinary. Uh, he came for the lost and for the lowly. You know, and just like Mary last week <clears throat> that we looked at, the shepherds were chosen not because of something they inherently had or something special that was in them, right? They were chosen just because God favored them. God selected them. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout it to the shepherds. That'll surprise them. <laughs> Probably one's least expecting an intervention from heaven. His grace, listen, the point of this is that his grace, God's grace, draws ordinary people into his extraordinary intervention into human history. It's just the way God does stuff. He, I think God likes to take ordinary people and plug them in to his extraordinary story. That you have a part. Oh, I'm just ordinary. No, I, I don't mean anything to the world. I don't mean anything to anybody. And God comes along and says, no. <laughs> because of that, you qualify for me, for my purposes. And so Jesus, like these lowly shepherds, you know, he keeps watch over the flock through the night. So I think he relates. <clears throat> you know, the angelic appearance says angels, an angel, first it's singular, an angel stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, the, the shepherds. Angels are not myths or embellishments. They're real beings fulfilling a purpose. And this, this ties into what I brought up last week in that you know, the incarnation in the gospel is an inherently supernatural message. Don't take the super out of the message. It's supernatural. It's meant to be. It's an essential aspect. When you're sharing your faith, don't be ashamed to talk about the supernatural aspect of the gospel and of Jesus' life. Angels are real beings. They're not just, you know put in there to make it sound more interesting. In Hebrews, <clears throat> written later uh, in the New Testament, talking of angels, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits 
sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. And so angels, the purpose of angels being sent forth are when they come to, into our sphere, if you will, in, into our world, they're here to help us. You know that? Angels, I mean, angels do God's bidding. But when they show up on earth, they're here for us, to minister to us. You know? God still, you know, they're not hiding. They're not like in storage. <laughs> God pulls them out just for special occasions. They're not like your Christmas decorations. <laughs> in a box somewhere. Where did I put it? Oh, these ones don't work. Okay, try the next one. <laughs> no, angels are ready at the call. And it's just that our eyes are closed to them. You know, uh, and so the gospel, the incarnation, is supernatural and it involves the angels. Now, it's not about the angels. It never should be about the angels. It's about the Lord. It says the angel appeared, but the glory of the Lord shown about them. It wasn't the glory of the angel. It was the glory of the Lord. The angels come to communicate God's glory and bring, they're a, they're a demonstration or a sign of God's presence. So like the shepherds, you and I are lowly. We're undeserving. You know, there's no reason why we should be selected to hear the gospel message or be brought in. Um, uh, uh, but it's precisely because of that that we should be on the lookout, that our eyes should be open and attentive. You know, the, the shepherds were at work. They were just doing their job. Angels often showed up many times in Scripture. It was while people were doing their occupation, while they're just going about their day-to-day -day routine is when God shows up and delivers the supernatural miracle message and so just like the shepherds, I think we need to be ready and prepared for God to show up. Amen? So what do they say? In Luke 2, 19, it says the first thing comes out of their mouth, just like last week, don't be afraid. You know, Fear not. Take a deep breath. Slow down. It's okay. Uh, <clears throat> same thing Jesus said to the two Marys after he uh, rose from the dead and met them as they were walking. Don't be afraid. Because the natural response to, to a supernatural intervention is fear. And again, don't, don't minimize that. And in fact, if you haven't felt some measure of fear, then you probably haven't encountered the supernatural aspect of God yet. All right? You know, if everything's just all easy, everyone in Scripture, no matter how holy they were, when they encounter God, they respond in fear. John the Apostle fell down as though he were dead. You know, how much more you and I? He had spent time with Jesus. All right? And so there's that fear, but it's fear that's mixed with the favor. And it changes it from, you know, a terror to an adoration and reverence. And so that's the nature of encountering God. <clears throat> The angel says, don't be afraid. Um, God's favor, God's grace, the very fact that they were selected for this message uh, overcame, was reason enough to overcome the fear. The angel continues and says, I be, uh, behold, 
I bring you good tidings of great joy. I love this word, great joy. It's actually a form of the same word spoken to Mary and, and the same word that Jesus used. I talked about last week. Uh, uh, it means rejoice. But this word, great joy, actually means, like, really rejoice. It's actually mega rejoice. Great is mega. We all understand the word mega. We use it now, like megabytes. <laughs> right? <clears throat> all right? It's like super, super joy, mega cheerfulness. Okay? You need to get really excited about this, even more excited. It's actually a, an emphasized word from what the angel used to Mary. He used to, to the shepherds. Like, man, this is such incredible good news. Get excited. Be cheerful. Mega cheerfulness. Uh, rejoice with exceeding joy. And the message of the incarnation, this, this story that God, who exists eternally, became human. God the Son came down and took on human form in order to accomplish our salvation is the, is the greatest story ever told. You know, it's, it's the story where, you know, and as far as I know, there's no other religion. You know, there's many religions that talk about men taking on divine attributes or becoming God-like, all right? And through a series of uh, uh, progressive steps, you know, you become like the gods. But this is almost the reverse. This is the God becoming man in order to redeem mankind. It's a radical story, and it's good news, and it's good news to everyone. In Luke uh, uh, 2.10, it says, uh, uh, in the message, this verse is, is put in the message, it's kind of a neat way to say it. It says, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everyone worldwide. It's a worldwide message of favor and joy. That's what Christmas is really about. All right, verse 11, Luke 2, 11 says, the angel says, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. This one verse really encapsulates the entire message of Christmas, all right? And the gospel. In one sentence, this is the gospel. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So we're going to look at these different aspects uh, of, the, uh, of the angel's announcements. It says, um, the first thing, there is born in the city of David a Savior. And Savior means deliverer. It means preserver. It's the one we are dependent on for deliverance from sin. In one sense, this can be hard to accept. Each one of these statements, each one of these titles, if you will, of Jesus Christ, there's, a, there's an aspect of that it's a little hard to accept. You know, uh, well, who do you think you are? I think I can take care of myself. No, actually, you can't. <laughs> in fact, the mess you're in is no one's fault but your own. And without outside intervention, you're in a downward spiral. That's a direct contradiction to everything that the world and, 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 and the Antichrist or a non-Christian, a non-godly uh, uh, approach 
to life is. You know, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And you can make a, a big difference in your life by, by, by changing your lifestyle. But ultimately, every man, woman, and child is completely dependent on outside help. And we live our lives thinking that we, we aren't. But every breath we breathe is a demonstration of how dependent we are. We can't go more than a couple of minutes without something on the outside keeping us alive. All right? And Savior is the ultimate expression of that. Jesus comes as Savior, the one that we need to deliver us. There's no human intervention or system that can save humanity from our root problem. And no matter what the, the problem, however the problem manifests, you know, with this past week we had the tragic shooting uh, in Sandy Hook, and there's, there's no way that we can express the grief and the horror of what happened there. And a lot of people want to do a lot of things to change like the circumstances that led up to it. But ultimately, it is a broken hearts and damaged souls that lead to this. And that's where no amount of laws or legislation can remove that. How can I say that? Read the Bible. You have one family, two brothers. The one kills the other. No guns involved. The, the, the problem was in the heart, Cain and Abel. So right from the beginning, murder is an aspect of, of our life. We need a Savior. Humanity needs a Savior. We need to humble ourselves and say, we need help. And Jesus comes as that help that we've been crying out for. Uh, we need someone from the outside, both as a, as a nation, as a, as a, 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 a people, all humanity, Ultimately, you know, how this works for, how it really works is on an individual basis. When you accept Jesus as your Savior <laughs> and it changes your life, then it can have an outward rippling effect in changing your community, changing your family, community, and the world. He's our Christ, the one anointed. That's what it means, the anointed one. But there's, a, there's something really specific we need to understand about this, is that he's the anointed one, right? not a general anointing there was one anointed he is the christ singular selected and empowered by god he's the long-awaited messiah listen all for thousands of years leading up to the entire jewish nation was was waiting their whole culture was built around the expectation that one day this Messiah would come, this King would come, that would, that would not only restore, but, but take them beyond and place, and they understood it as their, their ethnic, their, their, their people group, the Jewish uh, um, nation, as the rulers of the world. But God, even all through the Old Testament, says, no, it's going to be the whole world. And, and Christ came for everyone. Even the angel said that, for everyone. But there's this one Christ, singular. He's the Messiah. It's the fulfillment of every Old Testament prophecy is in Christ. It all led up to this one person. And bam, he comes on the stage. 
It's from the moment, you know, in the Garden of Eden after the fall, God makes this promise that there will be a deliverer that comes out of Eve that will crush the serpent's head. And so from that, from the moment God made that promise, all of creation was waiting was waiting for the, for the revelation of the Son of God, just as it is now awaiting for the, for the culmination when He comes and returns and redeems all of us in, in a physical resurrection to glory. The whole creation uh, longs and waits, is eagerly groaning for the revelation of the sons of God. And so this idea that there's one Christ... Um, uh, the, the one anointed one is exclusive. And this is the issue that's hard to accept, isn't it? It should be. I was just talking to my daughter last night. She was just talking about this issue. Well, what about the people who never hear? You know, what, what, you know, and that's a valid question. And you should struggle. It should cause you to struggle. How do you answer that? And if you have an easy answer... You haven't asked the question deep enough, all right? It's a hard question, but it can't, you can't avoid it. There is an exclusive aspect because by, by minimizing the exclusiveness of Jesus Christ, you minimize who he is and, and, and what his purpose is. You minimize God and you can't minimize God, all right? It's an impossible, so that doesn't make sense. And so you have to grapple with that aspect that he is exclusive. But it's the, the other side of that coin is that he came for everybody worldwide. All right? And in this sense, the message is all-inclusive. And this is where people don't understand the Christmas message or the Christian message. And they think, oh, how can you be so ex exclusive? Well, we're exclusive about the nature of Christ, but we're completely all-inclusive about what that means to every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. And our purpose is to communicate the all-inclusiveness that everyone, whosoever, uh, calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? And so, yes, there's an exclusivity concerning Christ, but there's an all-inclusive nature. It's, it's like an all-inclusive resort, isn't it? Heaven is the ultimate all I never thought of that before. We went, Kathy and I went to, to a couple of years ago, just three nights uh, to this all-inclusive. It was great. <laughs> you didn't even have to think about restaurant you're going to go to. You know, There's like five of them in the hotel, but you just picked up either one. It was awesome. Anyway, <laughs> that's what salvation is. It's the ultimate all-inclusive. Okay, Christ, uh, Savior, our Savior, our Christ, and our Lord. He's the Master. He to whom a person or thing belongs. So we belong to Him. That's what the word Lord means. Belong. He's the owner. He's the boss. Um, this really should be the most difficult aspect of all to accept. Because this brings it down to the most personal. You know? Why do we not allow slavery? Because we say it's wrong for one person to own another person. Yet if you understand our faith, we are in 
that relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, often started the letters, Paul, a bondservant or slave of Jesus Christ. He saw his identity in relationship with Jesus as slave. And he gloried in that. It wasn't an issue with him. He was proud of it. All right? Why? Because he understood what lordship meant. That it wasn't demeaning. It was really an, it was an exaltation from his previous state of being lord of his own life. To be servant of the king of the universe is far better than to be lord of your own despicable life that ends in ruin. Amen? All right? But he is Lord. Uh, that's, that's, his, it, that's who he is, and we can't get around it. He's the boss of every aspect of our lives, and he needs to be, in order to be in right relationship with him, it means that he's Lord of every aspect of our life, our physical, our bodies, our emotional life. He's Lord of that. Our spiritual life, He's Lord of that. How do we demonstrate that? How do we demonstrate that Jesus is Lord of my body, of your body, your physical life? Think about it. Think about ways that you can implement that. How do you demonstrate that Jesus is Lord of your emotions? Most people let their emotions rule them. The emotions in charge. But you know what? Lordship means there's something in charge of your emotions. And it's Jesus Christ who comes to save and deliver you. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> to be the Christ. To be the anointed one. What's, what's great is that knowing that we have a loving, all-powerful, all-wise Father who is personally invested or vested into us. See, lordship turns everything around when you know the nature and the character of the Lord. All right? When you understand how 1,000% God is for you and His heart and His purpose is to, is to bless you and to bring you to you the fullest potential that you can be, that produces mega joy. All right? It doesn't produce, oh, I have to obey no, it produces, wow, man, God's for me. He's chosen me. I don't deserve it. Oh, it's because I don't deserve it that I can be, uh, he can be my Lord. And I can, I, this, all these issues of my life that I have difficulty sorting out, I can turn to him and he can order my life. He can put it in the right, he can save it, he can redeem it, and he can anoint it. He can bring the Christ anointing that brings salvation and redemption and renewal. He can bring all of that into me, all right? And that produces mega joy. It really should, just like the angels told the shepherds. Man, when you understand this, the, the right response is mega joy. And it goes on, oh, oh this whole idea of um, uh, uh, lordship is that when, when Christ is your Lord, he brings his anointing. That's, uh, Christ actually means the anointed one. Okay, And they literally acted this out uh, and demonstrated it. When priests were anointed, they would pour oil on them and it would drip down their garments. <clears throat> and they still do that in Toronto. 
Emily had oil poured in, and they don't use a little like we do. It's a soup bowl. They say, wear clothes you can throw away. <laughs> and so there's, there's this covering. But, but when we come into relationship with as Christ as Lord and Savior, it brings His anointing. We are anointed with Christ's anointing. And so that means that personally, individually, we share in His Lordship, in His anointing, and in His salvation. That means we not only are beneficiaries of it, but we kind of like we become distributors. All right? We have Lordship. We have authority because of His authority. We have anointing because of His anointing. All right? Does that make a difference? <clears throat> we have salvation, which means wholeness and healing, and we can, we can use that to influence those around us because of His salvation. As we walk in Him, we reproduce Him, and it can change those around us. All right, Luke 2.12 <clears throat> is the final part of what the angels say. and says, And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. And a manger is a feed trough. You know, it's, it's, it's the, the thing that they, we usually bring one in, I forgot to. Uh, it's what they fed the animals with. <clears throat> it's where they put the hay or the straw that the animals would eat. And here's this baby lee, laying in a, in a feed trough. And I thought it was such a powerful graphic image of who Christ is. In John 6, 51, Jesus says this about himself. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So even at his birth, there's a foreshadowing of his purpose. Literally. And then we, we celebrate that last week. I think it was last week. We did, no, next week. We'll do communion. First week of every month. We eat bread, right? His body and his blood. Well, here Jesus comes even as an infant. He's placed in the feeding trough. Why? To symbolize the purpose that He came. He came to be the source of salvation. That when we feed on His life, we become alive. Amen? Well, let's look at the shepherds. The shepherds did three things. Um, um, and their response is important because I think it should be our response. The first response was they responded to the invitation. In verse 15, it says, The angel choir withdrew. You know, after the one angel, then all of the angels, the whole sky lit up. <clears throat> and so there's this chorus, harmonies, probably sounded amazing. They're out in the fields, like, wow. <clears throat> and then they're gone. All right. The angel choir withdrew into heaven. Jeez, don't you want don't you want to see that? <laughs> Dude, did you see that? <laughs> Whoa, what was in that lentil soup? <laughs> Says an angel choir with jewel in heaven, and the shepherds talked it over. They talked it over. They're like wow, what was that all about? And one of them had this bright idea. Let's go over to Bethlehem as fast as we can to see for ourselves what God has revealed to us 
they left running. They ran. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. I like how uh, it's translated here in the message, seeing was believing. When they saw, they heard the announcement, but then they had to see it. And so they had to respond by, by seeking it out. And then they found Jesus and seeing was believing. You know, it's interesting, the angels did not command them to do that. They could have went, oh, oh, that was cool. Let's let's cook another falafel dog. (laughs) I don't know what they ate. They didn't eat marshmallows, I'm sure. (laughs) They willingly responded. All right, like the shepherds, we need to respond to the invitation. The message of the gospel is is an invitation. It's it's a it's an invitation to good news, but you need to respond. Uh, their, their action demonstrated their faith. All right? The fact that they sought Jesus out, and when they saw him, it says seeing was believing. In that act, they came to a place of faith. Just like Mary, when she confessed, let it be to me according to your word, that was a confession of faith. She's saying, I'm vested into this. I believe it. Uh, let it be to me according to to, to your word. And we need to do the same thing. You know, we need to respond by believing and confessing. All right? And there's something about beholding the Lord that information about Him cannot, cannot replicate. All right? Seeing was believing. When they laid eyes on they heard about it, but it's not until they saw Him that they had faith. And in the same way, I challenge you don't settle for just information about Jesus. All right? Church and sermons and even the Bible is, is here to give us information. But Jesus says, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have salvation, but they are, which, they are those that testify of me. It's the whole purpose of the Bible is to direct you to me, Jesus said. In other words, you need, to ha- you need to see Jesus. You need to behold Him in some way. All right? You need to encounter Him personally so that there's a reaction where you're willing to run with it. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Tozer, uh, 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 Tozer is a famous author from the uh, actually last century, powerful book, Pursuit of God, has a whole chapter on this idea of seeing God. But I pulled out one little quote. It says, the looking and the believing are the same thing. Israel looked with their external eyes. Believing is done with the heart. And I love this, this quote from Tozer. It says, faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. Faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. And so it's living in constant awareness of God as our Savior. First thing they did was they responded to the invitation. Second thing they did was they worshiped. It says the shepherd returned, and this is again in the message, and let loose, glorifying and praising God for everything that they had heard and seen. It turned out exactly the way they had been told. Worship, praise, rejoicing, mega joy. That's the proper response to encountering the incarnation. All right? So we need to respond in the same way. Guys, you need to let loose. All right? Loosen up. 
You need to allow the joy of salvation to just to, to, to be expressed. And it doesn't mean, you know, it means on Sunday when we get together or whenever you get together and sing songs together, but worship should be expressed throughout your day, every day, okay? It is the thing that should motivate you, and you should be constantly looking for ways that you can express, um, that you can let loose adoration as a response. It was the second response that the shepherds made, and it should be our response as well. And the third thing that they did was they told the story. It says, after seeing them, this is from the New Living Translation, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the sh shepherd's story were astonished. They, you know, if that happened to you, wouldn't you tell everybody? If you're driving down the road and all of a sudden there's this bright light and shimmering thing, you'd think it was a UFO, wouldn't you? Some people think a lot of UFOs are either angels or demons. You know, and then they just don't understand what's really going on. And they just put it into that box. You'd tell everyone, and then this, and then this, and this happened, and then this happened. I got to tell somebody else. And then this happened, and this happened. They told everyone. They told everyone. Are you telling everyone? Few people are shaking their heads. This is it, folks. And if you're not, why not? Maybe it's you haven't really experienced Christmas the way Jesus wants you to. You need to tell everyone. Well, who 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 is everyone? Sounds like you know. Well, who is my neighbor? <laughs> Mr. Rogers. I don't remember. That's how old I am. I can't remember the song. Won't you be my neighbor? Everyone! No, I was thinking of the Good Samaritan story. <laughs> don't, don't. In other words, don't try to qualify this. Well, I can't tell this person because they're so anti. They're, they're, they're so, you know, pro this and pro that. If I bring it up, they'll just get mad at me. That's probably the person you needed to tell most. All right? Well, I can't. They never talk about anything. They're so quiet. Well, tell them. Listen, if, 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 yeah, anybody who'll listen. You know, and if you get this, mind, if you accept this as your, you know, this is the response to the gospel is to communicate, to tell the story. And the more you do it, the more natural it becomes. All right? Does that make sense? Uh, and the more easy it becomes. If it, and if you're not telling people, realize, gosh, maybe I'm missing something. And go to God and say, God, I'm not excited about telling people. Why? And he might reveal something in your heart uh, and deal with it. Like Mary, these, these shepherd people, the shepherds are like Mary. Unqualified, ordinary, they're like you and I. But everyone touched by the story of the incarnation becomes part of the story. Right? This is not just a story now that you've heard. This is a story that you're part of. Tag, you're it. <laughs> and you extend that story by telling others. Now, you might not have an angelic chorus show up and sing the hallelujah chorus to you. But if you've encountered Jesus in any way, you have a story to tell. And your story is unique. 
and, and your story will, will mean something to someone that my story won't mean anything to. And you'll be able to tell someone that I'll never even talk to. And you can't diminish the importance of it. The proper response to the message of Christmas is the response to the invitation personally to break out in worship and celebration and joy and to tell other people. That's what we need to do. And we have our special treat. Dave Borsman from South Carolina is going to come. And, uh, and uh, the ushers are going to come, and there's candles. And so uh, you want to probably stand for the whole thing, right? Uh, stand, take the candle, and he's going to sing through a song, and then we're going to join him. <clears throat> I love candlelight, sir.